the faster you move, the faster you raise, the faster you get to milestone, the easier it is, the more exciting it is, the easier it is to fundraise, the easier it is to hire great people, etc. So speed is a superpower. Hello and welcome to the IndieBob podcast, where we talk with founders, VCs, and scientists about what's exciting and interesting in biology and life sciences. I'm Gwen Chenny, your host and a partner at IndieBob New York. So this session, we have Omri, who is the new general partner of NFX Bio. Omri, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So Omri, your background is very extensive. I joke that, you know, just from reading your LinkedIn, I would have said you're like 60 years old, but you're quite young for having accomplished all that you have accomplished. So I'm going to let you introduce yourself because I'm definitely going to miss something. Uh, thank you. So... Uh... Hello, everyone. My name is Omri. As you can hear from the name and the stupid accent, I'm uh, Israeli. I did my PhD in Tel Aviv in hardcore biochemistry, uh, structural biology, crystallography, or the thing that AlphaFold is now making obsolete. Um, I got the Fulbright Fellowship, came to Stanford, did my postdoc in the medical school for four years. And then uh, discovered during my time in Stanford that sign a company is a thing. You, you don't just have to be a, a, a PI, you can actually start a company. So I uh, started a company called Genome Compiler, and that's a stupid name. <laughs> now I tell uh, founders all the time, don't do what I did and call your company what you're doing. So Genome Compiler built a Genome Compiler. It was a, a CAD tool and an IDE for synthetic biology. I ran it for five and a half years. That's how I lost my hair and gained 40 pounds. I, I found that I'm a stress eater. <laughs> um, we were lucky enough to get acquired by Twist Bioscience back in 2016, when Twist was still a private company. Uh, it was pretty good. It was an all-stock deal when Twist was worth $300 million. So that was good. Uh, I became the head of co-op there for Twist, working with Emily for two and a half years. And then just before the IPO, I had to go back to Israel. So I left and started a fund called TechBio. It was a $10 million fund that did pre-seed investment that did a section of Tech and Bio. And... One of my investors, one of my LPs in my fund was NFX. They also invested in my company. Also during my time at uh, Twist Bioscience, uh, I introduced him to the team that became Mammoth Biosciences and we did it together. So they invited me to join Fund2 as a venture partner. And just recently, I became a general partner. That is quite a work history. And I, I do think this is how a lot of GPs come in, is that they were a former uh, portfolio company and the venture partner and then GP. Great background. What gave you the idea to start Genome Compiler? Because I do see the very strong biochemistry and molecular biology background, but there's a lot of programming involved in a Genome Compiler. Yeah, it's a good uh, good question. So, um, you know, if I look back to my time doing research, almost 10 years in the in the bench, I saw the price of writing DNA going down very rapidly. When I just started, you know, you did PCR-based cloning. That's what people are still doing. And every base pair when you ordered a primer was like $10, $20. It was very expensive. I remember I almost ruined uh, uh, some of my primers and my professor was very mad because it was so expensive. And then uh, I came to Stanford to a Howard Hughes lab. So they had a bunch of money. And even back then, I think, I remember the first time we ordered DNA, uh, back then it was from GenScript. Uh, I think it was like $8 a base pair. It was really expensive, but we were in a lab that we had enough money, so you know we could just order DNA. And my professor didn't care. I just sent it. Uh, I just sent the price code to the office admin, and she's like, "Okay." <laughs> um, 
And uh, during my time at Stanford, the price went down all the way to about $3 a base pair. And it really changed the way I did my research because, you know, if you know how PCR-based cloning works, if you want to do one mutation, it takes you like a few weeks or months even to, to mutate one, one, you know, region of the protein. Um, and when you just print the DNA, you can design whatever you want. You can copy-paste different parts from different proteins and just press print and get whatever you want. So that really changed the way I worked. And unlike software engineers or other people who design stuff uh, for biology, we didn't have anything like that. So I used, I, th- I think I actually used Word or just text editor because I didn't have anything where I could just copy-paste different sequences and, uh, and putting them there together. So I thought about building a real IDE or CAD tool for, for bio, uh, call it a genome compiler. And then, uh, so I was still doing, doing my postdoc, uh, and uh, my wife was doing a postdoc in Berkeley, and we flew back to Israel, so she had some job talks. So I talked to one of my best friends that worked in Intel uh, about my idea, and he told me you should start a company. So I said, okay, maybe I should start a company. So he introduced me to three of his, of his friends in Intel, and I told them about my idea. They got really excited, and they, be, they became my co-founders. Uh, Roy, Gavin, uh, Neil, and they became my co-founders. Uh, and, the, and the good, you know, I got them as a as a package. But the great thing about that package is that I had one of them, Yogev, which was great at managing people and in, in just general management. He became the CEO of the company. Roy was great at the development. He became the head of R and D. And Neil was good at like getting my crazy high level ideas and turning them to like specific requirement. And he became the head of product. So I got the entire management uh, initial team of the company as, as a package, which was very lucky for me. So I have definitely noticed that the common thread of all the successful companies is a very well rounded team, basically complementary strengths. And I know you're going to say I got very lucky. But there's got to be something that you've done to be able to build such a team. Do you have any advice for founders that are trying to build a well-rounded team? Yeah, I think in this case, it was, uh, again, a bit a bit of luck. Uh, they're all friends that worked together for many years and wanted to do something together. Um, the one thing that helped me recruit them was, I still remember that we went to the house of uh, uh, one of them in Tel Aviv, and I hooked my computer into his TV. And just uh, very excitingly, like I was so excited and so passionate and talked about what we were doing and just biology and central dogma and like proteins moving and cutting and pasting and synthetic biology. I got them really, really excited. And I think that's important. Like uh, startup is such a marathon. You want to get people really, really excited, really passionate about the mission of the company and willing to go all the way because it's a long, long, hard, hard way. You're absolutely right. One thing I tell founders is you have to be really motivated by the problem that you want to solve that problem, or you are fascinated by the tech. So it's got to be one of the two. You're focused on finding a solution to the problem, or you're just fascinated by the tool that could be solving problems, because you're going to be spending a lot of hours on on both of them. And not just that, it's a slog. You know, our company was five and a half years. So the beginning was fairly easy. We were able to raise two and a half million uh, dollars Pretty quickly, uh, it was again kind of lucky. A friend that I knew was a scout for Sequoia, so he gave me the first 50k, and then uh, a pair, an angel gave us half a million, and then Autodesk gave us two million. So we had the first two and a half million pretty quickly. But after that, man, it was a slog. It was years of raising a hundred thousand dollars every month to survive a month. That's that's when I lost my hair, you know, all that stress. And one of the problems is, you know, I realized I built something that uh, I wanted. 
but not uh, many other people wanted. Maybe because back in the day, uh, the printer to print the DNA didn't exist. So it doesn't matter what you can create in the computer if you cannot actually make it in real life. Uh, so we had to, you know, kind of keep our stuff together and 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 and. and and last long enough until Twist arrived, and Twist is a is a printer. So when Twist arrived, it was very obvious for us to to work together. So we had a business deal before we got acquired, where our users can print the DNA through Twist, and then it became useful for Twist and and makes sense for Twist to acquire us to become the front end and the ordering uh, platform for Twist. So you've been on both the fundraising side as a founder and also on the, I guess, BD side for for Twist, um, also as an angel investor, and now at NFX. Any and all fundraising advice? I mean, and I know you said at the beginning it was very easy because you had all these contacts, but how did you get all these contacts, right? Because a scout for Sequoia, the childhood best friend working at Intel that just happened to know all these great programmers, these are not, this is not normal. <laughs> what did you do to get all these great contacts? Yeah, none of this is normal. But let's go back uh, to the initial question about uh, fundraising advice, because that's something I think I can really help uh, founders because I've been in their shoes. So I've been the scientific founder, and that's something we really like at NFX. We like where the scientist is one of the founders. Uh, And looking back, I actually looked recently, I had 148 different versions of my pitch deck for those five and a half years, and they all look stupid. They all look stupid. And the main reason is, you know, I was a scientist. I thought like a scientist. I didn't think like an uh, uh, investor. After you are an investor for five minutes, you understand investment. You understand what motivates investors. So you understand how they think and what they want to see. So now I tell, I tell uh, companies all the time, look, especially in the early stage, we only care about one thing. Can you return 10x, 100x of our fund? That's what we care. Like, the funny thing is most investors are already rich, so it's not, they're not doing it because of money, but that's how, uh, that's how they are measured. They're getting money out of limited partners. They promise them it's going to be a great investment, so they need to return you know, three times their fund. And because the outcome of, uh, of investment is not this nice Gaussian distribution where some investments are very good, some are very bad, but most in the middle. It's a very sharp Paolo, where most of the company doesn't return anything and only a, a few companies will return X amount of the fund, you need each of your bet to have the potential to return the fund. So the first, second, and third question that investors want to know is how can you return 10x or 100x my fund? And when you think about it, it's pretty obvious. Like if, if I promise you that, you know, you'll give me a dollar and I'll give you a hundred dollar back in, 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 you know, five years, you'll go to the bank and get a loan to give me more money because sure, it's a great investment, Right. And the way we take this big notion and, and get, it, get it down to three questions is, you know, A, is the market big enough? So if we believe you, everything that you says will happen, will it be big enough? And big enough usually should be uh, 10 times, the exit should be 10 times the, the size of the fund. Just because we own, let's say, 20 to 30%, we get diluted to 10%. You know, if we're, uh, you know, uh, $300 million fund, we need a $3 billion exit if we own 10% just to return our fund. And we haven't made money yet because we were making money when after we returned the fund. So, you know, it has to be big enough. Second, do we have defensible magic? So we don't care about technology. We care. I care. I'm a geek. I love what you're doing, right? But in general, investors don't care what you're doing. It's, it's a magic box that you put dollars in one end and more dollars comes in the other side. So this is magic. 
So do you have magic? And all these technologies, like I have magic, and this is defensible because competition is for losers and you want to have a monopoly because then you can charge whatever you want. So do you have defensible magic? And then the third thing, are you the right people to execute on this defensible magic in this huge industry to return my fund 10 times? <laughs> so just show me that and you're a winner. That's all you need to show. And so many, if I, I did the same mistake. Slides upon slides about the technology and how cool it is and why they are so smart and whatever. None of it matters. Just show me those three things. 100% agree with you. I see more founders struggle on point two and three. And one of them is that they underestimate competition because I think in our seats, we get to see a lot of startups. So just because... Uh, this problem isn't solved right now doesn't mean that people aren't working on solving it, whether it's internally at a biotech company or at a startup. So how do you advise founders to actually figure out if their tech is defensible? Yeah, it's a good question. By the way, they are not doing it for the investor's sakes. I see so many founders that are trying to build the deck that investor will invest in. Don't do it for me. Do it for yourself. You're going to suffer through this through this process for so many years. You're going to suffer. You don't see your wife. You don't go to vacation. You stress all the time. Do it only if you have if you think that it has a chance. And by the way, I see so many so many second uh, time founders. The biggest barrier for them is not fundraising. They can fundraise. Sometimes they have their own money. The biggest barrier if they want to go through their life to, through this horrible lifestyle again, you know, persuading themselves to do it again is way harder than persuading investors. Like, if I would to start a, a company again, it has to be such an amazing company that I'll go, like, to investor like a boss and tell them, like, are you kidding me? I don't want your money. Like, I'll do it myself. I'm going to make so much money. It's so important. And it's so obvious it's going to be successful. I did all the diligence. Like, of course I did the diligence. Why would I do it again? <laughs> That's kind of, do it for yourself. Don't do it for us. You know, screw us. Who cares about us? Do it for yourself. And, and sometimes people get too much in love with the technology and everything to realize it's not going to work. I think the hardest feedback to give is for the team, because sometimes the team is not, you know, you, you meet so many teams and you see who's the winners and who's not. And sometimes it's just not good enough. And that's the hardest feedback to give when, you know, they need to be more experienced or more, you know, have stronger team members. But uh can you repeat the question? Because I think I'm answering a no, different question. No, 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 no. It, no you, are, you are actually answering my question and you're actually going to my next question. It's, you know, um, the third point that you brought up is making sure this is the right team to do it, right? Is that, um, so I have a personal rule that I, I do give feedback, but I try to make sure it's all constructive. You know, dreams are so rare. I don't want to kill anyone's dream. So my advice is always, can you add somebody, can you add a member of the team in this area rather than you're not the right team? Is that the wrong way to approach it? Look, no, I think it's I think it's a right way. And by the way, I think the right team will survive. I think you know if if the team is weak enough to be to be destroyed by my feedback, <laughs> they are definitely the wrong team. You know, sometimes you know, like our company, you know, we 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 survive long enough to be successful. Uh, the idea wasn't successful, you know, so. So the right team will listen to us and, and say, like, no, you're stupid because actually <laughs> one, two, and three, you haven't seen this point, and, and that's fine. Um, and I think grit is one of the most important characters in entrepreneurs, especially in our space. And by the way, this is why we like to invest in scientist founders. Uh, they have a bunch of uh, issues, but what I know if you finish your PhD or postdoc, in, especially in biology, I know several things about you. First of all, I know that you're smart and you can learn new things. 
you can learn new things all the time. And by the way, that's what you need to do as an entrepreneur. You need to learn about accounting. You need to learn about management. You need to learn about a bunch of other things. So you know how to learn. You know how to design a scientific experiment and learn from it. And that's also part of the entrepreneurial uh, process. You think something, you try it, you see if it works or not, you learn and you design the next thing. And the third thing, you have grit, because I don't know about you, but when I did my PhD and postdoc, I went to the lab, did a lot of work, and I had no result. And I had to go back the next day and look at the infinite number of experiments I could do and say infinity minus one and do number two. <laughs> and the next week I had infinity minus two. And, and if you do it and finish your PG and finish your postdoc, I know that you have the grit and optimism that you can make it happen. So that's the good thing you know, uh, about scientific founders. They care more than anybody else because it's their science and they care about it. They are smart, they can learn, they can design an experiment, and they have the grit to survive. They don't know nothing <laughs> usually about management and about business, but you know, they can find people to help them. There is yeah. no replacement on the, the real passion uh, of trying to take your science and, and get to the impact of actually helping people uh, with the applied science. I totally agree with you. I think the the finance side, the business side is actually easy because if yeah. you're solving a real problem and your solution is significantly better than anything that's out there, let's say at least 5x, that's easy to sell. And I also totally agree with you. One of the things I, I tell founders is, you know, you have a PhD, you're so good at running experiments. So the sales process is like exactly the same thing. It's applied differently. I think agree with everything that you said. One thing I struggle with is early stage startups were at a different time scale than uh, a PhD. And I know you did your PhD and postdoc very quickly, but we're always in the process of trying to rush founders to get the next customer. It's a constant push. How do you make sure that the PhDs and postdocs can stand that pace? Well, that's a really good question. At NFX, we care a lot about speed. Uh, one of my partners, James, has a great uh, lecture about speed and cadence. Uh, so I truly believe speed is a superpower, especially for startups, because, you know, that's your superstar. That's your superpower. You can move way faster than any big company can. So you have to move fast. And I think that's something most people don't realize in startup. The faster you move, the faster you raise, the faster you get to milestone, the easier it is, the more exciting it is, the easier it is to fundraise, the easier it is uh, to hire great people, etc. So speed is a superstar, superpower. And... It's amazing how fast you can be, even in biology, even for something that, you know, sometimes cell takes X amount of time to grow and you can't really rush cells and whatever. There are so many ways to work faster and think differently. You're not trying to, you know, many times if you're in a lab, you have X amount of money and you're trying to optimize to do it the cheapest way possible. So in startup, you know, you shouldn't just waste money like a drunken sailor, but you should optimize for speed. And I, when I sit on the board, I always tell people, okay, how can we do more? How can we move faster? How can we uh, do many different experiments at the same time? How can we say, okay, if experiment one is going to be successful, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. So let's do the beginning of that. If it's not successful, we need to do the other thing. So let's start the beginning of that. So how how to move faster? I think it's such a superstar, super powerful startup and you have to optimize for speed. While, remember, with biology, many of the things we're doing is regulated, so you have to be rigorous. Uh, but uh, yeah, keeping that in mind, yeah, definitely optimize yeah. for speed. 
the first time I heard about high throughput and uh, multiplexing, I was like, yes, we need this. <laughs> there, there's zero doubt about that. I want to run all the experiments at the same time. So what was it like running BD for Twist? Because I do hear that traditional VC is different from CVC, and you sort of had a taste of both and angel investing. Any compare and contrast or advice for our founders? Well, first of all, uh, well, it was great, but mainly it was because I worked with Emily. And Emily, the pro CEO of Twist, is a great character, and I love her for, uh, to death. And, uh, and the one good, great thing that uh, happened moving to NFX is she's on our uh, advisory board on our investment committee for the bio uh, team. So I, I still work with her every week, and that's great. So Emily is amazing. It's so much fun to work with her. Uh, and I think uh, one of the biggest reasons that the acquisition to Twist uh, worked, not just the acquisition process itself, but post-acquisition, is because of the trust and respect that me and Emily uh, had working together. So that was great, just working with her. And also a company, look, when we joined Twist, I think we rounded up the number to 100 people. And now there are like, what, 700 people or something like that. Uh, when we joined, there were... $300 million company. Now, you know, they went all the way up to $10 billion. So it's again, it's like, <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm very happy we took stock. Uh, our investors are very happy. They made 25X just on the top of uh, the, uh, you know, uh, twist uh, rocket ship. So it's amazing to be as part of this rocket ship that is growing fast and actually selling to Consumers, you know, because uh, a bunch of other bio companies, you know, rarely get to a point where they actually sell something to to people, and it's it's a it's a muscle that you have to build the sales and marketing and support. It it's not easy, and you have to build it. And it was uh, pretty amazing to be there during the time that they actually start the beta, the alpha, the beta, and start selling commercially to customers. That was amazing. Uh, so work with Emily, amazing working in early stage, com- you know, company that scales uh, was great. Um, actual BD work uh, wasn't very hard. <laughs> By the way, if you ask <laughs> other people in Twist, there wasn't a lot of uh, BD work to be done uh, early on. So I think uh, just recently they acquired another company. That, that was the the so that was the only second company they acquired. Like so, Genome Copilot were the first, and just recently they acquired the second. So. So we didn't acquire any company during my time there, but uh, I did a lot of strategic work there. And uh, actually talking about uh, CBCs, we thought about doing like Illumina Ventures, doing Twist Ventures, just because we get so much deal flow because every company in our space wants to buy DNA from Twist. So we get to see all the companies very early on. And what what better you know, than investing in your customers so they can buy more DNA from you? So we tried to do that. And that was my first forays into investing, uh, which was great. And you get live data, right? You get you get to see how much they're ordering and what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's pretty cool. One question I've been dying to ask you is, so because you've both been a founder and various types of investor, and I know, you know you've already gone through the founder stage once where you lost hair and gone through the slog. So you may not want to be a second time founder, but if you were to... What type of company, what areas would you start your second company in? And maybe a related question, it's possible that's the same answer. Where do you see the technology bottlenecks? Uh, good questions. So if I were to start a company to be one of two places, either energy storage. I think uh, the first trillionaire would be somebody that uh, develop uh, next generation batteries. Um 
Yeah. So my wife is a chemist. She's a professor of chemistry in the Technion. I always tell her, please develop this magic uh, material that can store you know, electricity 10 times better than lithium-ion at uh, 10x, uh, 10x less the cost. You know, I can, I can start a company around that. Um, is the length of time of storage or lack of degradation? Like, what is the milestone that... This density must- cost. Density, okay. Density, energy density and cost. That's what you want, you know. So that's one, all longevity. So I have, uh, actually, I had a crazy idea in longevity company because, you know, you know, if you're successful, the, the next thing is you want to live long enough to enjoy your success. So, um, and also, you know, if you solve longevity, it means you solve most of the diseases. And there are so many diseases that the root cause is because you're getting older. <laughs> you know, from COVID to Alzheimer's to cancer, the main risk factor is how old you are. So if you can just stay young all the time, you know, that's the best way to stay healthy. So, and I had this crazy idea around longevity that I wanted to start a company around, but I actually recently found somebody who was actually doing it. So instead of starting a company, I get the great joy of investing in him. So, so, so you don't you don't have to do the slog and you get a diversified portfolio. I really like exactly, it. Exactly, because my life is so good right now. It's so, so much fun to be an investor. The only way I would start a company is I have to. There's nobody else who do it. Yeah. And I feel so compelled to doing it yeah. because uh, it's, you know, I have to do it that it's good enough to 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 go back to the slog and do it again. But I'm, I'm so relieved I found somebody to do it. I'm like, take my money, please. <laughs> I mean, Thank I have you. to say... Longevity is a hard enough problem that we can definitely use your brain. So if you, you should definitely start a company in longevity. <laughs> yeah. So again, I don't have to because I'm just going to invest and advise that company. But yeah, you know, too many scientists and too many smart people. You can just uh, see the idea in them, and then they'll start the company for you. You see, my life is great. Why should I? Why should, why should I suffer? I can just help smart people to to achieve my dreams. You know, it's great. Uh, to our indie bio founders that are that are listening, we definitely want you to stay founders. There are enough problems to go around. No, no, um, no. You, you're solving a real problem. You care about it. You don't need me to tell you to stay founders. Like you true. care about it enough. Come to me to to give you money. That's what you need to do. That's true. That's actually a really good point. If uh, if you're easily talked out of um, that mission to solve a particular problem, you're probably not as committed to it as you thought. So I know NFX is all about network effects. So does becoming GP of NFX Bio change your previous investment criteria or the way you think about how to deploy capital? Because I know you were a very successful investor even before NFX. Uh, no. So I mean, I mean, uh, I'm investing in the same kind of companies. We call it tech bio companies. So, you know, instead of biotech, tech bio, I got the domain name, tech.bio, love it. Um, so for us, what we feel is different right now from traditional biotech to tech bio is first biology is getting digitized with DNA synthesis, sequencing and sensors. Second thing is because it's digitized, you can apply, you know, automation, machine learning, sorry, you can a computation, machine learning to make sense of the data. And then we're moving from a world where just like me during my PhD or postdoc, where I pipette in the lab like a monkey, uh, you use high throughput automation at scale. So all those high moving fast-changing uh, technologies are converging and just uh, increasing the cycle of uh, design, build, test, learn, and, you know, you can create product faster. Uh, so the price to create products and the time to create products and the kind of products you can create is faster. And also the thing I like about tech bio is we only invest in things that either cure people, you know, therapeutic or diagnostic, feed people, food or ag, 
all uh, are important for the future of humanity. So renewable chemicals, energy, etc. And I think we are very much aligned with IndieBio that invests in all those things because it all matters, A, and B, it, it's all biggest markets there are. You know, it's huge, huge markets. So you can, and you can, in this field, really attract the best people that want to solve really important problems in really big markets so they can make a huge amount of money while making the world a better place. So it's great. When I talk to my uh, sort of software VCs, they think that bio investing is a lot harder. And I actually have a different view. In our business, demand is almost certain. If I can create a solution for cancer at a reasonable cost, I know there's demand. The question is, can I supply it? Not always, not always. So, you know, remember I asked through a question, is the market big enough? Do you have defensible magic and are you the right people? So for the first question, it depends on the company. Some companies are developing cures for cancer. And then, yeah, yeah, okay. If if the defensible magic works, so if it actually works, then yeah, the market is there, it's big enough. Some things are not very obvious. You know, even twist, you know, selling DNA, is it big enough? You know, if you if you take the output of the DNA, if you create the, let's say you design the right antibody, you send it to Twist, get it for seven cents a base pair, and then go through phase one, two, three, it becomes like a it can become like a multi-billion dollar thing. But is selling DNA big enough? So I don't think everything is solved. I think for some markets is the, the this answer is obvious, for some markets it's definitely not obvious. Yeah. So do you guys have a preference on taking your analogy of foundries and then all the different applications and products that come out of it? It's like the app stores and apps. Do you have a strict criteria that you will only invest in you know, the app store or the phone and not the individual apps? A good question. So in general, we don't like to invest in just one app or, you know, it can be like one small molecule for one indication. It's not that interesting. It's in, it feels more like betting than investing. It's like it either it works or it doesn't, but it's really binary. Uh, we don't like in general, you know, it's hard. Like I just hired like junior people that help me filter deals. And it's very hard for me to tell them what we are not doing because all the unique companies are unique. So I want, like it's hard to tell them, okay, in general, we don't do medical device, but maybe the right interesting team had some yeah. medical deviceness in it. So it's very hard to say what we are not doing. In general, I, we don't do medical device. In general, uh, what we call digital health is not that interesting to me. Like I like where the hardcore of the company is something new in biology. So the best example, I think, is Mammoth Biosciences, where they have unique IP um, around CAS-12 and CAS-13 for CRISPR diagnostic, and they have unique IP around uh, CAS-14, CAS-5, and now CAS-Lambda for uh, editing. It's their core IP. It's magical. It, you know, nobody discovered before. It's their IP. You know, it's defensible, and you can create so many different uh, applications around it. So that's the kind of thing we like. We like uh, drug delivery. We like. You know, we haven't invested in food yet, but we would love to invest in food if we can find somebody who, who solve the scaling problem. Um, yeah, uh, we would like to invest in something in renewable chemicals and energy. We haven't haven't found the right people yet, but we would love to do it. So currently, we're so my investment are. I guess around most of them therapeutic diagnostic. I would like to increase that, but uh, yeah. I was actually just going to ask you about a mammoth. And also sort of the side question is, what if it's a technology that can double the efficiency of delivery? Is that of interest or is that, because it's not a standalone technology. Well, <laughs> I just, I invested a year and a half ago in a company called Edity Therapeutics out of yeah. Israel. And there they modify T-cell as a delivery mechanism for CRISPR. 
So usually you're trying to modify T cell to go after cancer cells. So they say, no, 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 we don't want to, we don't want the T cell to kill the, the target cells. We want to use them as a targeting uh, um, vectors to deliver CRISPR to the target cells. So this is a really cool company that uh, I did the pre-seed and seed investment. But why do they pick T cells? I'm, I'm assuming these are CD4 and not CD8. Well, in, in general, T cells can also work in NK cell and others, but uh, yeah, yeah. Got it. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna geek out about science <laughs> very quickly if I if I keep sure. asking. Down and and again, we we like to invest in platform technologies that can create many different products. So it's not just mm -hmm. one product. So in this case, they can it's a delivery platform that you can use to go after many different indications and by the way, many different proteins. It can be. You know, it doesn't have to be CRISPR. It could be CRISPR or other proteins. Um, we we did a few drug delivery companies just because you know we like the space and we believe it's a truly platform technology. So we did a company called NanoCarry that deliver antibodies to the brain. Uh, we just recently uh, invested in a company with my co-founders from uh, Genome Compiler. That's why I love it uh, for design, build, test, learn, uh, machine learning, and automation to develop novel lipid nanoparticles for delivery of uh, DNA and RNA therapeutics and uh, and vaccines. Very nice. We'll have to go through your portfolio offline because this sounds fascinating. One last question I always uh, end the podcast with is, what are three people you want me to interview? So I'll do the legwork to, to find them, to ask them questions, to find out what's most interesting about them. You should definitely talk to my founders. They're all great. 50% of my founders are female founders. It's just happened this way, and I'm very excited about that. But, you know, from Trevor, from uh, Mammoth, or uh, Revital from... Uh, Nanocarry, you know, Michal from editing, so many great people. You should, you should definitely talk to them. I, I definitely will. Janice is one of my favorite people. So that will ah, happen. Janice is that great. Will... Yeah. yeah. Janice, Lucas, and Trevor. Yeah. How great did team. you find them? That was my other Hi. question. Because you found them in 2016. Yeah, I found them very early. So it's so funny. So one of my interns at the Genome Compiler uh, was uh, uh, a student at Stanford. And during her time at Stanford, she did the Cardinal Venture program. And Mammoth, by the way, a trivia that nobody knows, but back then their name was Aphelia Diagnostic. So, so they, so they, she invited me to the demo day of Cardinal Ventures and Aphelia Diagnostic were the only bio companies. So obviously I gravitate toward them and I met uh, Trevor and Ashley, his co-founder uh, back then, and I liked them a lot. So I just helped them. And then I got them to NFX. Before I was in NFX, I introduced them to the NFX Guild. They gave them the first pre-seed check. And I remember clearly I helped Trevor and, and back in the day, the, the Jennifer Dundas uh, uh, article, the first article using CRISPR for diagnosis came out. And I remember telling him, telling him, hey, you're trying to solve this problem. This is a better way to solve this problem than the old technology. You have $140,000 from the pre-seed check. Go to Berkeley. Don't leave the TTO office until you get the IP before somebody else tries to start a company around it. And he was lucky enough <laughs> to get the initial IP out of Berkeley. And then when Jennifer discovered and Janice and Lucas discovered more proteins and more system and more to start a company, you know, you know, the, the, there was, you know, Trevor's company already existed. And so they merged together, merged the IP, merged the company and created Mammoth. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I think you're also highlighting uh, the importance of hustle, right? Is that if Trevor had just waited maybe a few months, somebody else might have jumped on it. Or, you know, the TTO might have realized the value of it and $130,000 is not enough. Yeah. Speed, speed. Yeah. Speed is Absolutely. magic. It's superpower. You have to use it. Absolutely.
Absolutely. Um, Omri, thank you so much for your time. I know as a GP, you're mad busy. Thank you so much for your time on IndieBio Podcast. Any uh, last words of wisdom for our founders? Sure. First of all, I love IndieBio. I think I've been a mentor since my days in uh, in uh, the original Twist. days. So yeah. I think I'm. If you look at my 2015, LinkedIn, 2015, yeah. yeah so you I've were been calling involved. us by our original name, which is Syn- Synthetic Biology Accelerator. <laughs> it was a mouthful. Yeah. So I've been involved with IndieBio for a while, and I really appreciate what you're doing. I think uh, you know it's needed. There is not enough uh, pre-seed early stage uh, investing in our space, and it's a shame. Um, my main well, I, I have something to tell to founders, you know. So Ginkgo Bioworks, Jason from Ginkgo Bioworks, they have a slide that I steal from him. It's like a desktop filled with different technological thing and a potted plant. And usually ask, like, what's the most advanced technology? And some people it's say, oh, it's a phone, it's a laptop. And he says, no, no, it's a plant, you know, because biology is a magical technology, right? It's not technology that works. It's like an alien spaceship just crash landed and we're trying to figure out all this gizmo, how they work. So that's biology. It's the most advanced technology on Earth. It's been around for you know billions of years. It's amazing. But I think there is a technology that is as advanced as biology. And for me, it's entrepreneurship because, you know, when I think about it, humans didn't discover wormholes. Like there is this, in science fiction, you have these magic wormholes that you can walk, you know, you can just uh, pass from one, you know, from one universe to the next or from one plant to the next. So entrepreneurship is like a wormhole because think about it, you know, as a founder, you imagine the world as it can be. And then using, using just your sheer power, your sheer energy of entrepreneurship and, and, and greed and hustle, you create this, you, you just reap, you reap the, the, the universe, okay? you reap reality, and you drag all of us together with you to this new universe that you created. So there are two magic technologies, biology and entrepreneurship. So, so please be entrepreneurs in biology and help solve some of the world's biggest problems in what in which are also the world's biggest markets with this magic technology. So please do that. And come That's to me to get money. It's a wonderful, wonderful note to end on. Thank you so much, Omri. Sure. Thank you very much. Thank you.